I am your host, Scott Ultrason, and joined with me today is Adam, Angel, Christina, and Josh. So, before we dive into today's jam-packed episode, and let me tell you, it is fantastic, let me give you a quick background on the lab and what we do here on Floor 9. The IPG Media Lab is a specialized group dedicated to innovation working across the interpublic network. For over a decade, we've been evaluating new technology, identifying how it changes consumer behavior and media consumption, and providing our clients with actual insights to help navigate the ever-evolving media landscape. So welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Floor 9. So Adam, what are we doing here today? Uh, because of paper towels, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so, so paper towels. Now, this morning in our Slack, we really just um, kind of went on a tangent about paper towels and your branded bounty paper towels and please tell me more why why is it such a why is it such a big deal and the implications it has for cpg brands in general well yeah we did talk about my choices in paper towels and the ones that i were recent was recently forced to make uh but the real the real, the real cusp uh, uh, the real point of the matter is around brands and cpg and um how all of that is starting to shift and change and how that's related to what's happening in retail but not like it's not it's not directly related to how consumers are shopping but uh just brand perception um, around CPG, um, and uh, it was really spurred by the fact that my normal brand of paper towel that I buy is Viva, um, and I like Viva because it has nothing on it. You can buy plain white <laughs> Viva paper towels, um, which is very important. It sounds like a smartphone. And they yeah. were, and they were, uh, they were, they the the uh, supermarket did not have, was sold out of Viva because, as everyone knows, it's the best. And so I bought Bounty, which um, is you know a classic American brand of paper towel, uh, and then was horrified when I. Got got home to see that the bounty paper towels had bounty logos um, embossed all over them, uh, which to me was horrifying because uh, it seems a little unnecessary. Why is there advertising for my paper towels on my paper towels? Yeah, and 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 for me, I, I was looking at it, I was like, I can't believe it's such a big deal for, 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 for paper towels. It's just, who, who cares what you buy? It just... I, I think it's a big deal. So I go with discounted paper towels. I don't I don't. I don't. I save my money. I shift my money instead of paper towels. I buy, and we had this conversation earlier. <laughs> instead of I dis, I buy the discounted paper towels, and I use that money for top tier, high quality toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Charmin Ultra Soft only touches this <laughs> this bottom. So so interesting fact that I, I learned while researching and and not working on what I was supposed to be working on, <laughs> which is also why we're here. That I prefer Viva, and I also prefer Cottonelle uh, for toilet paper, and they're made by the same company. And then I. I got into this whole like you know wormhole of like paper products it's like oh i, I think i agree with this uh, company's uh, overall arch overarching approach to consumable paper products um and without even knowing that they were the you know made by the same cpg company which was kimberly clark <laughs> mind blown yeah I don't. I'm still in the camp of I'm going to buy whatever is discounted or the cheapest at the point. Like I've got no brand loyalty. I don't care if there's any markings on it or not. For me, it's um, just what is cheapest and like also still like still of good quality, which you can see happening in a lot of these private brands that are you know in stores. Like Trader Joe's private brand is fantastic. It's unbelievable. Jet.com also has their own private brand, so I have that right now as paper towels. Right. Ooh. Is that because you're buying other stuff from Jet? Yes. What else? What What drove you to purchase from Jet for the first time? Because it was seventy six cents cheaper than Bounty, which is usually the cheapest 
<laughs> no, no, but why were you... You said that's because you were buying it from Jet because you were ordering it. You're not shopping at Jet just for paper towels, right? Nobody chooses their store based on the paper towel. So a little background. I live with two other roommates, so three people in total. I was buying bulk toilet paper and bulk paper towels and a few air fresheners. So I buy all those toiletries on Jet.com, mostly because of their location. So I normally would use Amazon. However, since Jet.com is located in Hoboken, it's usually next day for me, whereas Amazon, they push me to pantry, and then I have to hit a minimum of like 12 products, which drives me nuts. So that's why I go to Jet.com, and that's where I saw that. They also have other private lab- labels as well. Um, toilet paper. Yeah, toilet paper. You know my yeah. situation. <laughs> Only well, the and this, this is what this is what we you know sort of the conversation turned into is more about like the the place of brands for CPG products. I um, you know historically brands were super important uh, to CPGs and really. Um, uh, both for um, placement on the shelf as well as for um, sort of taking up shelf space. This is one thing uh, that we've been talking about a lot is that um, shelf space used to be a thing that you know they p- brands would segment their their products across different brand names. Um, CPG companies would segment their products across different brand names so that they could take up justify taking up more shelf space at, at retail. Uh, but obviously that doesn't matter online um, because uh, there's. And unlimited shelf space, <laughs> so you can never fill it up with your own brands. Um, and one side effect of uh, what we're seeing there is that um, uh, uh, store brand products are actually becoming more popular, mm-hmm. more successful. Um, and I think that there's an interesting, like I think a lot of people on the brand side would say that their brand stands for something, and the consumers have loyalty around that. And I think what we're where we're seeing now is that um, brands brand name used to mean like better than store brand, and at this point, it doesn't necessarily. In a lot of cases, we're seeing these like luxury store brands from companies like Jet or Amazon, but also from uh, Brandless, mm-hmm. um, who are making higher or Trader Joe's. I think Brandless, I would sort of throw in a similar bucket as Trader Joe's, like higher quality brand um, unbranded products. Yeah, and then even I would say some of like the like for example like Kroger, like they're looking to private label brands as a differentiator and a strategy. To help them compete not only with Amazon, but again, help them fend off this retail kind of transition that's been going on in 2017, and then that's going to continue into 2018. So this is like one of their strategies that they're really looking to uh, heavily like rely on. And even, for example, it's not just limited to grocery, but CVS, for example, has said the same exact thing about their private label brands, where uh, quoting that, you know, it's 20 to 30 percent less expensive than consumers. Um, 20 excuse me it's 20 to 30 percent less expensive for consumers than the national brands and you know their business is let's see 20 percent of these private label brands accounts for like their business so it's um you know super profitable for cvs to be investing in and pushing these private label brands and they're using this again similar to kroger as a way to you know revive their retail business which is fascinating yeah. i think a lot of a lot of the cpg companies that we talk to are very concerned about the retailers and their with coming in with their own private labels um and you know sort of whether it's virtual whether it's real shelf space in the physical retail stores or it's just um you know alexa preferring an amazon private label brand as, as opposed to a brand name for a generic query like paper towels. I think that actually, like obviously that's a concern, but I actually think that the greater concern might be uh, that consumers might not care or have as much brand loyalty to these brands as a lot of the CPG companies think that they do. Um, to your point around like you care, Angel, a lot about toilet paper, but you don't care about uh, a lot of the other products that you're ordering along with that toilet paper from Jet. Um, so, you know, you're you're always going to keep ordering the brand name toilet paper, even if you are, even if Jet's giving you a better offer on their own 
uh, sort of house brand. But um, the paper towels, you might switch every single time what brand you're buying. Yeah. And actually, um, people are becoming less and less brand loyal and less and less able to even pick a favorite brand in categories. Um, back in 2007, 47% of people said they could pick a favorite brand in a retail in a retailer, um, whereas last year it was only 28%. And so what we're seeing is people, to your point, becoming less and less opinionated about some of these more commodity brands that they choose right. to put in their homes. Was that in-store? That was in retail, yeah. yeah in I retail. think part of the that is a side effect of the... Um, house brands becoming better. I think yeah. that our overall quality of all of our CPG products has gone up in the past 20 years. So it's not, you know. Well, what about age group? Because I completely understand where you come from, Christina, but if, Scott, you're a younger millennial. I am indeed. And you said that you're in it for the cheapest cost for paper towels right. and, and toilet paper. So for you, it's does it matter what brand it is? Does it matter whether you're in or out store? No. Brand? So again, as as I said, it's for me. It's for example, little in, you know insight into my life. I can't even afford a coffee table right now for my for my little for like literally for my apartment. So I look at it on a per you know on a per price basis that whatever is cheapest, that is what I'm going to buy. And again, these private label brands, the Amazon basic brand. I mean, it's all to me. Like I don't see a difference in quality. Perfect. And then as he gets older, and this is a question for you, Adam, how, based on his behavior as he gets older, makes more income, begins to actually pick out yeah, the that brand. Makes, makes more income. Wink, wink. <laughs> how, <laughs> how will Amazon Echo or private labels come into that that role to actually influence his purchase? Yeah, I mean, I think we don't entirely know. Um, I think that a lot of things are changing. I, I suspect that there are uh, there are some brands, and maybe not in a CPG category at all, but there there are some brands that you obviously have some affinity towards. I, I happen to know what your TV is sitting on is a box from a particular mattress yes, company. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> this is correct. Uh, that uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're still having a good time with that uh, mattress. Thing. I am. I am indeed. So that, that that's probably some brand loyalty. Like, who right. knows what the mattress market will look like in, when you're ready to buy a new and one. But and I think what it comes down to is that you know I, I do have some brand loyalties to certain products, but when it comes in, and I'm looking at you know this like your like your basics, that's what I'm kind of looking at is to me those are the ones that are going to be like the in the most jeopardy for CPG brands like moving forward, um, you know especially because again like like Brandless.com like they're looking to really eliminate this idea of like the brand tax like that mm -hmm. markup that you just pay for a name brand where you go on their website and they have all the buzzwords you know it's snacks utensils gluten free. Um, or you like farm to table, fair trade. I mean, they have all that, and it's like the products are, you know, of of substantial quality that you can compare to a name brand. It just doesn't have that name brand. It's brandless, um, and I think that even goes into some interesting conversations. And I'll pass this one off to Christina when it comes to like the role of brands in the home, especially when it comes to voice and what Alexa has for us on that. Yeah, I think and. To answer your question earlier, Angel, I don't think that brand affinity goes away. I think the things that you looked to brands for changes. And I think because we live in such a two-way um, society in terms of our relationships with brands, I think um, there's an increase in transparency and it's no longer this like push message that we get from brands that we just automatically and necessarily consume. And I think brands like Casper and brands like 
outdoor voices get this really, really what right. Um, those aren't CPG brands, but well, and Brandless, one of their, they're really marketing themselves and having ingredients that can fit on the front of the packaging in really clear terms. Like they, that uh, Brandless is a misnomer because it, it is they're they're creating their own brand around mm-hmm. sort of transparency. Um, I totally agree. I think that the things that matter with brands um, are, used to be like shelf space and logo design, and I think that that's de- significantly decreasing in importance um, around things like transparency of what goes in these products, how they are sourced, where they come from. Um, That's something that we're going to talk a lot about in our outlook. Um, And also, I think we're going to see a huge decrease in the quantity of these brands that are going to exist. There's no reason for one company to have multiple paper towel brands necessarily. Maybe you have a high end and a low end at some point, but like put your effort and your and your, the effort that you're asking of consumers into like a small number of brands. I think that's going to happen pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think that especially gets magnified too if you think about the way consumers are buying. So they move online and a brand and a physical product beca- goes from 3D to 2D. The shopper marketing around that totally changes and I think as we move from e-commerce to voice and I'm ordering batteries from Alexa I'm saying hey Alexa buy me batteries all of your traditional branding elements are gone so think logo think package design think bottle shape and all of these markers that um, stand for a brand and lead you to purchase a certain brand over another are gone in voice. Um, and so what that turns into, you can imagine with Amazon, if you say, Alexa, buy me batteries, they're not giving you Duracell. Uh, they're giving you Amazon private label batteries. And so what that means for brands is what's your, you know, how do you tackle that? And what's your new marketing strategy around voice? Mm-hmm. Quick question for you guys. So when it comes to voice, well, do you think packaging will actually change? So there's a company called Stowaway that makes makeup enough, it lasts long enough until they expire. So it's very small packaging. It fits in your bag. So when I buy paper towels, when I buy toilet paper, I tend to buy um, dishwash soap. Or hand hand soap. Tie pods? Tie pods. Not tie pods. <laughs> not, not, not yet. I don't have a washing machine. Six four walk up. But, but, anyway. but you're still buying tie pods. Right? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> For snacks. But do you think the actual size of these bottles will increase or decrease long enough to last as long as your toilet paper or paper towels last? Because then when you're ordering something through voice, you could just buy the bundle instead of to sync up products. Exactly. Yeah, that's really interesting. So instead of order saying I want toilet paper, um, What's her name? I'm not going to say out loud. Her name. <laughs> I want. I want hand towels and all, all this jazz. It's just I want the bundle. That's really interesting. I was thinking about this the other day when I had to buy cat food. Um, that um, what I would prefer to do because I actually have my cat food on a subscribe and save from Amazon, but it doesn't line up correctly because the cat food is <laughs> it comes in packs of 24, and I really want packs of. 30 or 31 uh, so that it lines up with the monthly replenishment but I always have to order like an extra one every few months to like fill in the gaps it's like our products they have, have been purposefully designed around more frequent than monthly replenishment but actually if things are happening automatically you just want the exact number for that month and it seems kind of crazy that that's like uh, a, how products are bundled and I think that I think that applies to a lot of like that's easy because I know exactly how much I'm going to use every month but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of interesting things that could happen there so don't you think so now the input to auto replenish is your buying habits that's the data that goes into determining when they auto replenish 
Do you think with the connected home becoming more and more sophisticated and advanced sensors in things like refrigerators and things like showers that there could be a way to auto detect when something is getting low and prompt Alexa to be able to reorder yeah. for you? Yeah, so we actually have a couple of examples of that already from Amazon. Um, Amazon has this dash replenishment uh, service, which is just an API that you can build in to your products. So any, it's literally available to anybody. Um, and Whirlpool announced um, a washing machine that did this, where it's sort of a like head-slapping moment of why do you, the, the soap holders and washing machines not just take like a whole box of laundry detergent or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but they don't. Uh, so they built one that did, and then obviously it knows when it's running low, and it would automatically reorder. Um, there's obviously a ton of like printers and stuff that do this too, some coffee makers, um, some water filters, and stuff like that. So like there is, there, we're starting to see sensors like that that can automatically replenish, which changes brands again because it creates this lock-in like you pick the brand of laundry detergent when you set up your replenishment and then you're probably never going to change it and and that's something that right now as a consumer you can do but what happens in like five years or ten years when you buy a washing machine and they had already made a biz dev deal with tide so you always get tied laundry detergent and there's not even an option for it's like just the way that you know inkjet printers work right you can imagine that being a thing that that happens to to uh, appliances in the home as well I want to go back to the packaging question for a second because there's a couple of interesting things. We know that Amazon has actually been working with CPG companies around packaging. Amazon has designed some things that they would like CPG companies to adopt. Um, You might have ordered something from them where it comes with frustration-free packaging, which is like like a USB cable or something, and it just comes in an envelope or a box Mm -hmm. instead of coming in something with like, um, you know, like... uh, blister pack or something that's going to be annoying to open. So they're basically trying to do the same thing for CPG. The idea being that the boxes and the packaging is designed for Amazon warehouse shelves and to be shipped easily. It's like designed for shipping and not, it doesn't need to be printed. Like they, you can save money on not printing color on it and stuff like that because that's not, the packaging is not important anymore. So I think that's super interesting. I think we're going to see a lot of, of that. And then on the other side, brandless has designed all of their packaging and their sizing of their products to fit the price point of $3 per item. So some things you get like two, a two-pack of chapstick, for example, or you get a jar of peanut butter that is, you know, maybe it's slightly smaller than you would normally buy in a store, but they sized it that way to uh, to hit that price point, which I think is incredibly interesting from a, from a like brand strategy perspective. What category do you think is next? In terms of auto replenishment? No, so private labels. Oh. Paper towels, um, toiletries. What do you think is next? I, I was noticing when I was looking at Brandless this morning, they're getting into vitamins, which seems like ripe for disruption because they're incredibly overpriced. <laughs> and was, there's like no regulation around supplements. So, yeah, $3 melatonin, awesome. I think we're starting to see it in beauty as well with brands like Glossier and. Uh, a brand called The Ordinary that sells at Sephora. It was the same concept as um, Adam was mentioning about these high-end but efficacious, uh, very potent serums and skincare products that uh, people don't care about the brand. People don't care about the spokesperson. They care about what's inside, um, and it's obviously at a great price. And I think we'll continue to see that, especially as consumers get more savvy about what they're putting on their skin. I would love to get my pre-workout and my protein 
every other month so everything lines up so i don't have to buy it all staggered i think that's a great idea angel <laughs> no it's it's again it's something, those up protein it's it's some it's an industry that is like generally overpriced and people are oftentimes paying for things that don't paying for differences that don't really mean anything but the one thing that I'd interject on that, going back to the point of syncing it up with like your lifestyle, is that that should coincide with any of the physical activity that you track through any kind of you know fitness tracker, so that it would see okay, Angel, you're in you're mar- you're in you're in the process of training for a marathon, so it knows that you're going to be training six days a week, and therefore it's going to have to replenish sooner and is going to have to give you bigger bulk. But then when you're out of training season, but your workouts are cut in half or the intensity is in half, then it would automatically change the order size that you'd need. So now you no longer need, you know, 200 grams of protein a day because you're training for something different. You may only need 100 grams of protein, so therefore it's going to give you a different size and a different amount. I think the next industry for private labels is workout supplements, like protein powders, your pre-workouts, your vitamins, as you mentioned earlier. And if you're able to sync that... Can I ask you something about protein, though? So something like paper towels, I personally... I don't see that big of a difference between the low end and the high end, frankly. Um, Protein powder is something that I actually would, well, not me per se, but I would think someone would actually want to work and be and deliver every single benefit that it talked about. Mm -hmm. I would be scared to buy a private label protein. So most of the protein, big brands that they're if you look at proprietary blend if you read that it's garbage you can't you don't know if the actual ingredients they list if they do the full amount it could be just a a portion Uh, of that and they could still list it it's like narcotics exactly they cut it up to bring it back to (laughs) given given they bring it back to josh (laughs) (laughs) please don't use that name on air (laughs) steve um but we were talking earlier about our obsession with like prison and all of these sort of drug documentaries and one of the things that they've been Pre-work hours. Yeah, what, are yeah, you, pre-work, what pre-work. were you guys doing on Florida today while I was on of, one, But one of the things they were talking about was effectively like private label narcotics and these these dealers who, you know, make their own blends of drugs and then sell them. And you you don't know what the actual mix of these things are uh, in there. And I think to the – in the case of protein powder, to the sort of the, the casual, you know, person that's lifting, they just see pr- protein powder as protein powder, right? And it's going to be influenced by price. It's going to be influenced by flavor, uh, you know, simplicity of packaging. You know, and number kind of, of protein, like grams of protein, and grams of protein, right? Exactly. But when you get to the elite, you know, weightlifters and athletes such as yourself, Angel Mendoza, um, I'm flexing, you know, by the way. Exactly right. <laughs> There's this notion of like, what is actually in here, and is there a difference between these private label protein companies versus the sort of the name brand? Yeah. So. If there's a private label and they show all the ingredients, four ingredients, that's all that's in there, it's phenomenal. It's exactly what RX Bar is doing. It's that same strategy. Yeah. Plus, Adam, to your point, if they're able to make the packaging, because right now you get it in five or 10 pound jugs, mm-hmm. if you could get packets of it and pay $3, that fits easier in your gym bag or in, in your purse or wherever. So that actually <coughs> might be better. I'll pay a little extra. I, would pay, I was just going to say, yeah. I would pay extra that's for that. The budget one is still comes in a big tub, but there's a slightly premium product that's individual servings. That's yep. that's Because right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. my protein's a Ziploc bag in my backpack, yeah, yeah. so I'd much rather Sketchy. have that. Yeah. I'd much rather I, I, have that broken out. I would not be surprised. I think Brandless is going to do it. I wouldn't be surprised. 
The supplements just showed up. I, I like I looked at the sites two weeks two weeks ago, and it showed up in the past two weeks. Well, so. they'll do it now after hearing this podcast. For <laughs> so, sure. so brandless, we can feel free to hire us as consultants. Uh, looking for a sponsor too, brandless. <laughs> I have one. I have one more thing. I, well, I was gonna say, well, what's your one thing, and then I'll go to my one thing. Okay, just the one thing that I thought was interesting is I was reading, and I, I'm sorry, I do not remember which analyst I was reading, but some analyst was recently suggesting that um, in the face of uh, of uh, these. Uh, sort of house brands, uh, the rise of these house brands uh, competing with them, and also with uh, changing distribution around uh, for, you know, between Amazon and Jet and Brandless and things, that um, CPG companies might actually be one of the first categories to uh, realize that uh, you know, um, J&J and Procter & Gamble are not their competitors, but they're not enemies, and they have more in common and more to, to gain by uh, preserving, obviously, all of their brands, and uh, therefore like work together to set up their own storefronts um, online, uh, or uh, probably online at first, but maybe also brick and mortar, um, to actually distribute um, and sort of maintain that consumer relationship. And I think that is super interesting. Like probably it would be pared down a pared down list of brands. Again, it wouldn't. There's no, not a reason to have in in this modern world to have uh, dozens of brands in the same category, but be able to sort of compete head to head and give them some leverage with uh, companies like Amazon and Walmart. I think that's super interesting. And as I said in Slack this morning, the uh, anarchist part of my personality that just wants the most interesting thing to happen <laughs> would say that, like, if if that was a project that actually was coming together from multiple CPG companies, that they should like buy a retailer like Target and actually just guarantee them shelf some, them shelf space. Actually, guarantee themselves shelf space uh, at a major retailer like that. It's interesting that you bring that up, and I think it's really smart for these CPG companies that you know are seeing slow growth in uh, their product sales instead of being totally product companies they're moving to being platform companies so not just owning the production of the products but also the distribution uh, we're seeing that in physical with this you know potential target um, acquisition uh, we also see that with makeup.com so makeup.com was started by l'oreal a couple years ago as a platform uh, they don't just have l'oreal products on there but it's a review site for consumers to come give reviews of products across you know estee lauder revlon l'oreal unbiased but what they're using it for is one digital consumer insights uh, in addition to using it for product development and also it's a discovery tool for L'Oreal products but I thought it was really smart to take this idea of yes we're selling products but we also need to own a greater part of the customer relationship uh, and a platform is a good way to do that. This is all great but now retailers need to look into shipping logistics last mile. If they're going to take in a lot more of these orders, they need to iron out right. the two-day shipping and, and yes, same-day yes, shipping. They have to, and I think that's something they've, they've already realized uh, just with Amazon in general, and how this, they're, they're dominating the logistics space. And you see with Target, you know, they already have acquired two different companies. One is named Ship. The other one is called Grand Junction, and both companies are meant to help Target with same-day delivery. Well, you also have companies solely dedicated to that. So you have Shippo, which is just APIs that you plug in so you understand the right um delivery logistics or delivery partner to use in that location right away or even deliver that does last mile so you can compete with the Amazon so if, if somebody orders a product you get it same day or two day without building out the entire infrastructure so 
the counter to that is over the last couple years, Amazon has maybe not so quietly been buying up warehouses within two hours of every major metropolitan city in the U.S. um, at very, very favorable prices, essentially icing out anyone that now wants to buy real estate there at a higher price to be able to compete with same-day delivery. Um, It's a huge structural advantage. You also see them starting to buy up planes and cars and trains and owning um, vertically owning logistics as well, um, which will be a huge uh, bellwether for FedEx and UPS. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is if you are going to compete with Amazon, is they invest so much capital expenditure into the infrastructure that you have to be willing. Like, I'm not. It is possible for, especially a sort of consortium of CPG companies, to create that themselves, but they have to be willing to spend billions of dollars to do so. Yeah. Um, and I think that that it's not. It's not that they can't. It's just that that level of commitment is something that is um, is really takes a some strong leadership and some strong pitching to Wall Street to help them understand what you're trying to do. And I'm not sure that uh, anybody's quite ready to do that yet. Well, Maybe I, they will be in a couple of years, but right now it uh, would be the right time to start. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Yeah, and what I was going to say, you know, just not CBG, but Kroger in general, coming from super, supermarketnews.com, that's where a, 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 a lot of this all started this morning. Um, <laughs> How they get that URL? I have no idea. But, you know, like they're like they're looking at a total capital expenditure in 2018 is projected at $3 billion to like, and for private label brands to redo their stores, the infrastructure, like logistics. I mean, they're, I think, one of the first ones I've ever seen, not, maybe not CPG, but in retail that is investing heavily in their, you know, in their product, in their platform, in their infrastructure to start competing and become, um, you know, to weather this retail storm that we're yeah. kind of seeing today. Um, so it's hard. Uh, I think else? the yeah, bottom line is it's hard to operate at a loss for yeah. so many years over, you know, year over year over year like Amazon is. And so unless you have the scale, uh, convincing Wall Street that a loss is okay is tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do we want to work our way into some really high-level brand takeaways for this uh, paper towel CPG discussion <laughs> that we have today? I feel like Adam's going to say no logos yeah, no. on the product. <laughs> I just want plain white paper towel. I want jokes. Wrong with that? <laughs> I want jokes on my paper towels. Okay. Joke of the day. Joke of the day. I'm pretty sure that they do that with toilet paper, so... I'll find that for you. I'm going to need that URL, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I think like the one brand takeaway I have here is that it was just coming down to it is that, you know, looking ahead, you know, CPG, you know, CPG brands and just retails are going to be looking to have greater control over the, over the POS, you know, the point of sale. And I think we've already brought it up a few, a few times, whether that's with e-commerce or maybe pop-up shops or, you know, actually going together and owning, you know, some sort of larger retail presence like buying out a target as a consortium um, that is going to be something like they're going to need because that's going to how they're going to get the data is and that's how they'll again go back to personalizing the experience and then they can grow off that data and just deliver a better experience where maybe at some point it's worth paying that extra money but um, as of right now private label brands are on the rise and it's uh knocking yeah was that private label private label just knocked yes (laughs) (laughs) yes it did it's private label. <laughs> and it's knocking. So no one's going to open a door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, poor private label. <laughs> um, Stuck outside in the rain. If you're looking for more great content, you can check out our Medium blog, which you can access through ipglab.com. 
please feel free to follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Twitter are both at IPGlab.com. And if you like what you hear, uh, tell your friends, give us an iTunes review, uh, whatever you can do. We greatly appreciate it. Just send us an email. We're always here to uh, chat and talk. So looking forward to next week. Thank you. Talk to you soon.